Amen. You know, Pastor Rip, I really appreciate you. Thank you, because, you know, you minister to me. You know, I, you, I, I do my best to feed people here, but you feed me during the prayer time. So thank you. It's very, very much a blessing, and thank you for your, your diligence and the way that you do life that way. So I appreciate that. So this morning, um, I'm so thankful that you're here today and uh, that we are enjoying a beautiful February day. And, and the best thing about it is, is that it's February. <laughs> it's not January anymore. <laughs> that means I'm happy. January is not my favorite month. It's too long and it's too dark. And uh, my wife is a, a great lover of light as well. And she is always asking and looking forward to We get a minute a day extra now. <laughs> And uh, believe me, we're taking them. We're, we're counting the minutes. And uh, it's just nice to get up and, and uh, see it lighter in the morning and uh, longer later in the evening. And it's just uh, it's a blessing. So um, thank you, Lord, for the passing of time. So today we want to begin a new series. And we're going to be talking about the parables of Jesus. And um, I'm excited about this because Jesus has some really interesting things to say in the parables that he gives in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And more in Matthew than in Luke and Mark and Luke. But um, here's the question, though, that we're going to talk about today. Because I, I think we need to ask this. And before we really can get into the parables, we need to understand why. Why does Jesus speak in parables? You know, even the disciples wondered that. They were confused. And, you know, as I studied this, I, I'm reading a book and reading, well, numerous books and, and studying this. And I'm learning a lot of interesting things here. And one of the commentaries that I read, written by a, a gentleman named Craig um, um, Blackberg, he says in the New American's commentary, he says that, that beginning in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is beginning a third block of his ministry. And previous to this, um, in Matthew, he was in... Uh, in his previous two blocks, he was doing, uh, he was proving who he was through his birth, his virgin birth, through his sinless life, through the baptism of John the Baptist, through his his time in the new, in the in the desert, uh, the testing time, and then his his teaching and his miracles. Two basic areas of, of strength were Jesus' teaching because even we noticed this last week when we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount that the Jewish people said, wow, he speaks with power and authority differently than our teachers of the law. So Jesus was proving himself through his teaching and then through his miracles. And, and we don't even begin to count all the miracles. The, in fact, the Bible says that the Bible couldn't contain all the pages if they recorded all of his miracles. So he did many, many miracles and his great teaching. And now we're moving into his third block of ministry. And this, this block is really focusing now on the fact that Jesus was beginning to deal with the problems that will occur when he goes back to heaven as a rejected king. Think about this. He came as a conquering, he came as a gentle person, as a gentle man. But he proved himself as the son of God only to be rejected by men. And, you know, and that should give us some encouragement. Because if Jesus is going to be rejected, then recognize it 
when you get rejected, and don't be offended by it, because if Jesus was rejected, then you certainly are going to be rejected as well. In fact, he says that. There's a whole message right there. But we're not going to spend there now. What we're going to spend the time on is the fact that Jesus came with a mission. And he came to 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 win it. He 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 was in it to win it. <laughs> he just because he got rejected, he didn't give up. He didn't say, no, "Okay, if you guys aren't going to receive me, then I'm just going to go back to heaven and, you know, you guys can have life down here and have a good life." No, he stuck to it to the point that he went to the cross, and that's why we celebrated communion this morning as well. So, we can expect to be rejected as well. And so don't don't get upset when we recognize the fact that um, life can be difficult and we may not be understood all the time. In fact, you may be misunderstood and rejected for, for your faith. That's okay. Jesus was as well. But prior to this time, Jesus used illustrations and the illustrations were very plain. They were very obvious and very easy to understand the illustration that Jesus gave. But parables, however... Parables were intended to reveal the truth only to believers. And even then it required an explanation sometimes. But the non-believers were left out many times of the, of the illustration of the parable. According to RVG Tasker, uh, from the gospel according to Mark or Matthew commentary, he says that Jesus deliberately adopted the parabolic method of teaching at a particular stage in his ministry for the purpose of withholding further truth about himself and the kingdom of heaven from the crowds who had proven themselves to be deaf to his claims and irresponsive to his demands. From now on, when addressing the unbelieving multitude, he speaks only in parables which he interprets to his disciples in private. It's interesting as we study this. Matthew 13 presents seven parables of the mysteries of the kingdom that we're going to be speaking about. Jesus was a master storyteller. I mean, there was none better then and none better today. He could tell a story that could be riveting and hold your attention. And Jesus often would use the parables then that we're talking about here to convey a message to those whose hearts were prepared to hear the truths of God's word. The key word is that they were prepared. And at the same time, these truths were hidden from those hearts that were hardened and resistant to God's word. These were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those that that were opposed to Jesus for their own personal reasons. But when they came to listen to Jesus teach, they didn't come to hear his truths. They didn't come to have their life changed. They came rather to discredit Jesus. They came to try to pick his message apart. They came looking for an area they could trap him in the law. And you read that throughout the whole Gospels, how, how Jesus would speak and then they would come to him and challenge him with questions and always try to trip him up. Because they were not here to learn from him, they were there to destroy him. They were there to discredit his ministry. We see Jesus' Jesus's response to this in Luke as he's having one of a number of hard conversations with these religious leaders. And, and I, I love the fact that Jesus could be so merciful and so full of grace to those that needed grace. And at the same time, so 
in your face hard to those that were coming to reject him. I mean, he didn't mix words with anybody. He, he was not going to step down from confrontation. He didn't look for it necessarily. But when it was time to stand his ground, nobody could stand their ground better than Jesus. Nobody could win a debate better than Jesus. First of all, he didn't debate quite often. He just said the truth that made them realize how wrong and stupid they were. <laughs> he didn't have to go to it much further. There's many examples of that. When you read it, you can just astound it how, how Jesus knew how to get to the point and never get into an argument he was going to lose. But he would always say the things that, obviously, the Holy Spirit was leading him to say these things. He could read hearts and minds of people. And he knew exactly where, what the point was they were trying to make. And somehow he could get to that point and make them feel like, wow, I, 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 have, no, I have no response to that. And so that's so amazing about Jesus. But let me read in Luke chapter 11. This is one of his responses. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 52. And Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you, experts in religious law? For you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from entering. As Jesus, Jesus was leaving, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Jesus was always aware of his surroundings. He knew what was the best thing to say and the appropriate time to say it. I wish I could know that. <laughs> I say some stupid things sometimes. My wife will tell you. And I just wish I could not say stupid things. I wish I could not put my foot in my mouth and have to dig it out so many times because I do it. That's my dad. In me, okay. <laughs> Chris says, "Stop it." Okay, I'll stop it. But even though Jesus was aware of his surrounding, he always knew the audience that he was with, and he knew the audience was mixed with believing and unbelieving hearts. But the interesting thing is, as he moved on to his ministries, his disciples weren't weren't always so keen. They didn't always pick that up. So when Jesus started to move into his third block of ministry. I don't know that he told them all these things. I just think they had to kind of learn them on their own and stumble into them sometimes. And and for the for the disciples, I gotta imagine when Jesus was having these hard debate, these hard conversations with his religious leaders, they must have cringed at times. You ever have you ever been with somebody that is in the midst of an argument or midst of a, making a point, and it's getting to the point where it's getting uncomfortable and kind of awkward, and you're wishing you could just kind of get out of it. I gotta imagine the disciples sat many times thinking, man, Jesus, how you get, where are you going with this? <laughs> so they were at this point. And that brings up the question for them is, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Why are you speaking in things in ways that nobody understands? Even us, we have to come and ask you the questions. So I want to look at this answer. Let's, let's look in Matthew chapter 13 and, and see what this, where this is going to go. He says in Matthew 13, beginning at verse 10, he says, His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Jesus replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others, others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have 
will be taken away from them. I want to stop here for a minute because Jesus is saying some really important things here and we can skip over it if we're not careful. Verse 12, what he just says here, for, for those that are listening and implied in that, putting into action what they're hearing, they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening and also implied not putting into action, even the little they have will be taken away from them. What does that mean? What is really he, what's he really saying? This is a this is a key kingdom principle here that we're getting on right now. Because the thing that makes a true believer or marks a true believer from a false believer is the simple fact that the true believer is eager to hear what Jesus is going to say. He's eager to learn what the next words are coming out of Jesus' mouth. And then, not only that, but he's going to put into action what he hears and what he reads regarding God's word. But a false believer is not. That will mark you, if you truly are a believer, then you're hungry for the word of God. You're hungry to hear what God has to say. If you're just a false believer or just a casual Christian, then you can get, you can take it or leave it. And you can walk out of a sermon, or you can walk out of, you don't need to worry, read your Bible because you're not interested in it. You're just a casual believer. But if you're a real true believer, then you're hungry. You want to learn what God has for you. A true believer seeks to understand God's word through heavenly wisdom and heavenly, uh, and not earthly wisdom. There's a big difference. Listen to me. There's a big difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. There's a big difference. If so, if not, then why would Paul have prayed this way? Paul prayed to the church in Colossians. He said in Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, here's the key point, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We're not stupid people. We can read things and we can understand things. But the heavenly principles don't come through earthly knowledge. The reason that God is saying this is that God's will only makes sense through his wisdom. God's will for your life only makes sense for you when you are seeking spiritual wisdom. Many times, what God would have us to do doesn't make earthly sense. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense in our own mind if God is asking us to do something according to his will, and thus we'll fight against it, and we'll struggle in it, and we'll have all kinds of, of anxiety and angst because God's asking us to do something that we don't want to do because it doesn't make sense to our earthly minds. And this is a very important point because if we're basing our spiritual life on what we understand and what we comprehend, that we're at great risk of losing out of many, if not all, of God's blessings. Let me say that again. If we're basing our spiritual life on what we understand and if what we can agree with and comprehend, then you're at great risk of missing out on many of God's blessings. You see, God's ways are so much higher than ours. And if we think that we have to be able to comprehend it and understand it and then give God the green light, so to say, to say, okay, God, go ahead and do what you want to do because I understand it now. 
I heard it said this way. If I can understand God and all he does, then I need a bigger God. (laughs) I mean, if I can understand God's thoughts and if I can understand his ways, then God's not big enough. Because God can never solve my problems because I can solve my problems. That's why we said at the beginning of the service, do we know, do you recognize how much you need God? And until you need God, you're going to be on your own. So if I really have to think that I have to approve of everything God does, then listen, then aren't we really putting ourselves in the judgment seat of God? Think about it. If I have to agree and, and, and approve God's purposes and God's will in my life, then I'm really putting myself a little bit higher than God. Because I'm saying, God, you really can't do that if I don't agree with it. Boy, that's a dangerous place to be. And it may be hard for us sometimes to go through all the things we have to go through without understanding them. I, don't, I, I can't comprehend all the issues in my life. Can you? But my job is to trust. Isaiah says, 50, in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Can somebody say amen? Because that is really it. If I could grasp this concept, if I really could understand this principle, this kingdom principle, that God's ways are higher than my ways. And my job now is not to approve, but to accept and to trust, no matter if I don't understand it. If I can trust him enough, if I can know how much he loves me, that he's not going to will anything in my life that's going to be bad for me. It may be difficult, it may be hard, I may not understand it, it may be confusing to my earthly mind. But that's okay. Because I know how much he loves me. And not only is his love deep for me, but his plans are deep for me. I want to read a passage in the Old Testament that many times we misinterpret. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 through 14. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. you we know this portion. We know this portion, portion. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But there's more. There's more. Hang on. Let's read the next few passages. Then you, beginning at verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Hear that? I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now, I know this is an Old Testament story. It's an Old Testament promise, if you will, to the nation of Israel. But it can be applied to us if we will take it for what, it, what, for what Jesus is trying to tell us here. Many times, a portion of passages can be taken out of context. And many times, I believe that what we know in verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future, Many times people will just take it at that and then not have to not recognize what it really that's going to entail. 
that's going to entail surrender in your life. It's going to entail you giving up on your own ability to understand. It's not just a promise of prosperity as the prosperity teachers would take it. Because, yes, I think God wants us to prosper, but not at the expense of our spiritual life. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to be happy and fulfilled in life. I get that. But most importantly, he wants my spiritual life to be in in tune with him. And that means I may have to go through some hard times to get my spiritual life tuned into him. It may not always be easy. But what God is saying here is that if you seek me and trust me, I will show you the good I have planned for you. As I commit my life to him, then he'll reveal the great plans that he has for me. You see, in the day of Isaiah, the Jewish people were in the throes of of constantly being judged by God, and they would go through horrific judgments based upon the fact that they were consistently unwilling to, to, to commit to God's ways. They were a hard-hearted, rebellious people, stiff-necked. And in this particular case, they were, they were captivated by the king of Babylon, and they had been captured. And even though the Israelite people were, were stiff-necked, and even though they were rebellious, God always loved them. He never gave up on them. He punished them. He judged them. But he never gave up on them. You know, and maybe we're not that much different than the Jewish people. Maybe we're not that much different from the Israelites. Because I think we're all guilty, aren't we, of running away from God sometimes? Running and wanting to do our own thing, being in control of our life, doing it our way. And even in that, can I just tell you that God still loves you? See, the Israelites were taken captive by Babylon. Today, Babylon doesn't exist, but maybe we're being taken captive by the enemy in our life too, by our lifelong addictions and our habits and our issues. We're in, we're, we're in captive, we're, we're captivated, captivated by our own vices. But yet, if I'm willing to commit my heart to God, he'll restore me. He will give me the plans to prosper me if I would do that. Our challenge is, is if I could believe it. Would I, do I really believe it? Do I really believe what God's saying here? And that leads me to recognizing how important it is for me to seek the spiritual wisdom of God and learn how to apply it in our lives quickly. <laughs> I mean, the moment I hear it, do it. Uh, don't sit on it. Don't think you have to go pray about it. No, if God reveals something to you in your spiritual mind, then just do it and avoid the temptation to run it through the filter of your understanding. Avoid the temptation to say, God, I have to understand it first before I'm going to do it. No. You start doing that, you're putting yourself in God's judgment seat. Because that puts us in a position of risk, just as it said here for in, in Matthew that those that do have that will be taken from them. Matthew chapter 13, verse 12, he says, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So if we can apply the teachings of Jesus here according to what God has for us, he promises blessing. He's promises, promising more will be given in great abundance if I would put in action 
what I have. But for those that hear only what Jesus is saying, but they're not really applying it, not really wanting to apply it, they're not seeing what God has in store for them. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 13 through 15, he says, this is why I use parables. For they look, but they really don't see. They hear, but they really don't listen or understand. And this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Now this isn't what God wants for us or anybody. God is not turning the hearts of a person that wants to be turned towards him. But like Jesus was always aware of a situation, God is too. And when God sees a a consistently rebellious heart, God understands that. See, it's the conditions of the heart that makes the difference. Because if my heart's not conditioned, if my heart's not prepared to receive, then I'm down the path of rebellion. And God owes nothing. Pastor Rip said it earlier. God has no obligation to a person that is in a rebellious mode against God. He has no obligation to a person that doesn't want him. That's why it's important that we prepare our hearts. That's why it's important, important that we make the right choices in life. My Bible commentary said it this way, but if we do not apply what he has already shown us or what God has already shown us, then none of it will do any good. In fact, the truth we know will tend to harden us spiritually and make us less responsive to God's word. And here's the question. Why should God continue to show us deeper things if we're not doing something with what he has already shown us? See, if we're not readily receiving and putting into action the basics of living a Christian life, then God has no obligation to take you any further. He'll let you stay where you're at. Because if you're not hungry, if you're not eager, if you're not desiring things of God's word, then he has no obligation to you. Because he can't force you to do anything. It's really about our own choices to grow up. It's our choice to grow up spiritually. Now, physically, it's interesting. We have no choice in our growth. We're going to grow up whether you choose to or not. You may not mature, but you're going to grow up. (laughs) You may still be boys or boys. 11-year-old boys or 11-year-old boys, aren't they, Gilbert? (laughs) There's a story there, but I'll let Gilbert tell that later. But we have no choice in our physical growth. You're going to grow up whether you like to or not. But spiritually, it's different. Spiritually, growth only comes through our desires and our effort to grow up. Because you can maintain, you can be a spiritual baby all your life and never grow up out of that first day of salvation. And and you're a great risk, by the way, if you are there. If you don't have a hunger and desire to grow spiritually, you're a great risk. Let me just say that. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, 
regarding those that are choosing not to grow up spiritually. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, he says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. I think that's the key point. You no longer try to understand. Sometimes we have a difficulty understanding. And God will help us in that. If you're trying to understand. But if you stop trying, then this is where the point comes. Because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need to, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The person that is choosing and working to grow up spiritually are doing the things that are honoring to God. And you're avoiding the things that are dishonoring to him. There's a discipline required here. There's a discipline that comes through time and by our diligence to learn the word of God if we're going to please God. His love never changes for us. But his acceptance or, or his approval of us can change. I, I love my kids. Unconditionally, I love my kids. But when they do stupid things, when they be, misbehave, I'm not happy with them. I love them, but I'm not happy with them. God can be the same, same way with us. His love will never stop, but his approval of you can It's through this process that we learn to love righteousness and hate, listen to me, and hate wickedness. We have to hate it. We have to not put up with it. This is the solid food that the writer is speaking about. And this prepares us to receive the harder principles that come as we grow up spiritually. And this takes time and persistence in our life. This takes a diligence. This takes an effort in my life. Spiritual growth is often a slow process. And it must be developed over discipline. And we must stick with it no matter what. It may be difficult. It may be boring. It may not be what you excite you in life. But it's the process of sticking to the basics. And that's the major difference between spiritual growth and physical growth. Because physical growth, here's the deal. Physically, even as much as you want to, you never get younger. (laughs) You can put all kinds of skin creams on and take away the wrinkles, but you're still whatever age you are. And you're never going to go backwards in time. But you know, spiritually, you can go backwards in time. Spiritually, you can lose your maturity. Spiritually, you can lose your relationship with Christ. And I know some people don't like to hear that. I know some some religion, some teachers teach it. Once you're saved, you're always saved no matter what happens. But let me tell you, that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says that if you're not maintaining a positive growth, you can be going on a negative growth. You can be getting younger spiritually. And that's not a good trend to be on, by the way. You want to be on the the trajectory of growing, of maturing in your faith. And that's going to take work. It's going to take diligent effort on our part. So getting back to the point of why Jesus spoke in parables. It was getting to the point in Jesus' teachings where those that were spiritually growing 
were growing. And that and those that were not were just simply looking for ways to trip him up. They were just looking for ways to uh, to uh, accuse him of being you know of being wrong according to the law because that's what they were. So the point of Jesus parables are he speaking to those who are trying to understand and learn God's ways. That's what the point is. He's speaking to those that are hungry for God. And he's not speaking to those that were only trying to get information on Jesus so they could trip him up. That they could use it against him later. And Jesus' parables were meant to reveal truths about God's kingdom to those whose hearts were prepared. Revelation knowledge comes through Jesus' words and his parables. At the same time, these truths, these truths in these parables were hidden from those whose hearts were hardened and resistant to God. Now, I said earlier that there's a blessing for those that have prepared hearts to hear. There's a blessing here. Matthew 13, 16 through 17, he says, But blessed, but blessed are your eyes and your ears because they hear and they see. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. So you're blessed. I'm blessed. If I have a hungry heart, God says, I'm, I, you're, there's blessings in store for you. If your eyes are wanting to see my principles, if your ears are wanting to hear my truths, then you're blessed because there were many previous to you in the Old Testament prophets that were not able to. You're blessed. We're in a, we're in an interesting time in our life because we are at a point where God is wanting to pour things out in us if we would be hungry to hear them and see them and then put them into action. Amen? Jackie, would you come, please? So what are we supposed to get out of this? What are we supposed to understand about the parables that Jesus speaks to us as we begin to speak them and and, and teach about them? First of all, again, parables are stories from everyday life that relate and illustrate certain spiritual principles. They're stories from everyday life that relate and illustrate certain spiritual principles, right? And not every aspect of the parable is a direct analogy. Sometimes it's not even relevant, that particular thing. But the parable is usually made to make a general point and a spiritual meaning that sometimes, in fact, most of the times, it's like a riddle. It's not obvious. It's not obvious. That's why the the physical mind can't grasp it. The man with earthly wisdom can't grasp it. Because there's a spiritual element here that a spiritual mind has to hear. So parables are meant to reveal truth to those that are spiritually sincere and open, while at the same time concealing the spiritual truth from those that are resistant to God. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. The, old, the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit will reveal the lessons that God wants for us to get out of these parables through his wisdom. That's why we need to keep our heart tender. That's why we need to keep our heart in relative relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit because it's only through the Holy Spirit's teaching. You see, I can teach on him over the next few weeks, and I hope I do a good job, but that's not the point. 
The point is, is the Holy Spirit needs to quicken it to you. The Holy Spirit needs to bring it alive in your life. You need to be ready. You need to come with a heart willing to hear. Because if you don't come with a heart willing to hear, if you don't come prepared, then the Holy Spirit's limited in his ability to quicken it and make it revelation knowledge to you. No matter how well I speak it, because most of the time I don't speak it very well, but I pray the Holy Spirit will. I pray the Holy, <clears throat> I pray the Holy Spirit will, will be that element in your life. There's a blessing in store for those, excuse me, there's a blessing in store for those whose eyes and ears are open to hear the messages of God's heavenly kingdom. I want you to know that. Come ready to be blessed. Many of Jesus' parables are meant to give true believers warnings to expect evil and opposition in their life and to teach how to overcome Satan and his influence. You're going to learn some things in these parables that are going to teach you how to get through life without being tripped up if you come prepared to listen. Sometimes parables even require the hearer to make a decision or a choice. This is interesting. If you're going to be found faithful and true to God's word, sometimes you have to do what this parable is alluding to. So I'm excited. I'm excited for what's ahead as we dig into the parables of, of, of Jesus, what he's speaking. So I'm encouraging us to prepare our hearts over the next few weeks. I like what Pastor, said, Pastor Rip said earlier about preparing on Saturday night. That's a good thing. Or get up a little bit early on Sunday mornings and spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in prayer preparing yourself, ready to come in, to, first of all, to worship so that you can worship on the first song, not the third song. <laughs> that you can just come in ready to go, right? Because you're already ready, you're already primed. The pump was already primed, you're ready to go. Because, you know, guys, i got to say that the time is short. The days are short. We are getting closer and closer to the end. If you don't know that, just look around. Just look at the obvious. Look at the, all the prophecies that have been fulfilled. And the only one that is really out there yet is the return of Jesus. I mean, his rapture is the next big thing, and it could happen any time. I mean, it could happen well within this year. I believe it 100%. I believe that we're the generation that's going to see it. I believe I'm going to be the last pastor that, 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 that pastors this church. You know, and it's always kind of been in my heart ever since the 12, 13 years that I've been here. But I believe in it even more now. That I believe I'm going to be the last pastor in this church. At least until I die. And then another one will come. So I'm not, I'm not saying something here. I'm not making a prophetic statement here that you're going to look at me and call me a false prophet later. I'm not saying that. But I know we're in the, we're in the end of time. And so we need to come in prepared. We need to come in ready to hear God's voice. We need to come in ready to hear what he has for us. And then not just be ready to hear it, but then to apply it. Will you do that with me? Will you help me do that? And then invite others to come along with you, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> if you love them, if you think we do a good job, bring them along. And let's just do this together. Let's do life together because we need to work together in this. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for everything that you have in store for us. Lord, I am just thankful that you have given us the ability to understand how we should come prepared to hear your parables. And Lord, I thank you for the time that you spent with your disciples, that you would explain to them those spiritual truths. 
Lord, I, I pray that we would have our own spiritual time, our own quiet time of devotion throughout this week, that you, that we just don't go Sunday to Sunday, that we go Sunday to Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday. And every day we have time that we spend, that we dedicate, that we carve out from our busy schedule, that we spend 10, 5, 10, 15, maybe an hour. I don't know how much time it takes. But we spend time that we just say, would you sharpen my heart? Would you prepare my heart, Holy Spirit? I think it's so important that we do that. That we read, we pray privately in our prayer closet. So, Father, I just pray that you would just give us a hunger and a thirst and a desire for that. And then prepare our hearts to be given revelation knowledge by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, would you stand with me? And let's just sing a song of worship before we go this morning. This is my desire. that is our prayer today that you would have your way in our hearts Lord that no matter what's happening in our life that we would never ever put ourselves in the judgment seat of you that we would never think that we have to approve what you're doing in our life before we accept it we may not like it Father but help us to accept it and help us to learn from it help us to glean what you have from that that our hearts would always be tender before you Always be looking for what you have in store, even in the hard times. And certainly enjoy the good times. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your promise. Now, Lord, we truly do give you our hearts today. We totally surrender to you. And so go with us throughout this week. Bring blessings into our lives, God, as we seek you more, as we prepare our hearts for next week, as we prepare our hearts for Wednesday, as we prepare our hearts for tomorrow's devotion time personally, that our hearts are always longing for the next time. And then maybe we just take it with us throughout the day. 
Wouldn't that be amazing? So we just pray your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today.